Turn to Deuteronomy chapter eight. I want to I want to do something that I I don't do very often and haven't in a long time, and um, which is sort of uh, change horses horses in the middle of the stream, so to speak. Uh, kind of coming in like through this week with a uh, with one plan for how to preach, and then the Lord just kind of um, took this chapter and it just kind of got into me, and really uh, I feel like. It's for tonight, and so this is not at all me saying, like, I'm about to just wing it, or I'm not prepared. It's not really that at all. It's just um, um, the older I've gotten, and I guess uh, hopefully, hopefully it's a sign of maybe maturing and stuff like that, I've just gotten to where I'm, I'm kind of planning ahead with the teaching and studying and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and kind of um, always anticipating things, and so it's been a, a while since... You know, coming into a week, like the weekend, let's say like Friday or something, just really felt strongly that I was supposed to make some alterations and stuff. And so uh, sometimes when the Lord does that, it's really, it's really like a great thing for me. And other times uh, it just kind of like weirds me out, you know. So I don't know if you struggle with feeling like you can like hear from the Lord and really be like, the Lord told me this. Um, if you struggle with that, then I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. You know, I'm real hesitant to ever to like, you know, wave the Jesus told me this banner, you know, because that's a bold, like huge thing to say. And, and I, like you, struggle to discern that sometimes and, and definitely believe that, that there are times when you, um, you sense that and in faith you pursue that and go forward with that. And, um, you know, and I think he, he honors that and, and stuff. So what this will be, this will be kind of a merging of what I was, where I was going to go and then where I la- kind of wound up going and hope that's okay with you. Um, so we're, we're going to get to Deuteronomy 8 in just a minute, but really uh, the Sunday before uh, a season of the church calendar begins, um, that's kind of what you, that's kind of what you do. You know, you, you do a refresher on what, uh, what it is we're about to enter into. So before Advent, we kind of get, like we do like primer, a little bit of a, let's revisit this idea and make sure we're all kind of like-minded. And uh, So Wednesday uh, is Ash Wednesday, and that is the beginning of the season of Lent. Uh, in the church calendar that um, has been practiced like since the early church. So we've been in Acts for a couple of weeks, um, and really, really since the beginning of this year, and over the course of our 30 days of prayer and that kind of stuff. Um, and this is very much, it's not in the book of Acts necessarily, but it is in step with that early group of believers uh, as this practice of Lent. And so when they put the church calendar together, a the, the, bunch of like... Uh, Preachers didn't get together and say, what would be some good things for us to focus on over the course of the year? They looked back at church history and said, from the very beginning, what did the, what did the disciples of Jesus, the apostles who planted these churches, and, and when all this stuff was going on, what did they give themselves to consistently? And uh, it turns out that, that it was like the church fathers, the early church fathers, that, that really put this stuff together. Uh, so Lent has been around for a long time. If you were like, uh, if you grew up in a church tradition that didn't practice Lent, then maybe it's, it's still a little foreign to you, uh, as as it is to me. But I feel like with each with each year, um, I, I feel like I understand it a little bit better, and and I, um, I think I understand how to practice it a little bit differently, and and maybe to offer some leadership to the the church in that. And 
Um, just kind of always learning about it. And um, so there's, there definitely will not be an assumption that we all know what, or, you know, what it is because we're continuing to learn this stuff. So, so Lent uh, is, is really connected to um, the experience that Jesus had from when he set his face to Jerusalem. So toward the end of his earthly ministry, you know, which is about three years, there came a point in time when it was, it was time to like push over the first domino of all the rest of the dominoes that would lead to the cross. So everything about Easter weekend, Good Friday, um, whatever you call Saturday, and then Easter Sunday, that whole thing, uh, there was, it, that didn't just suddenly happen. Jesus, he was preparing himself for that. Um, and uh, the early church said, okay, if, if Jesus prepared himself to celebrate the, the cross and uh, to celebrate his own death, burial, and resurrection, if Jesus prepped himself for that, then we should prep ourselves for that. And so that's, where, that's really what it's about. It's about not suddenly being like, oh man, it's Easter weekend. Let's try to get in the mindset. It's saying like, no, this is, this is like of such significance that we want to ramp up for this. We want to prepare our minds. We want our hearts to, uh, to like transform. Like, uh, we want our renewed minds to transform our hearts. And we really want Easter, the, everything about that weekend, to mean what it's supposed to mean. And you don't just stumble into that. You prepare for that. You, uh, you set your face toward Jerusalem like, like Jesus did, and you take care of yourself, and you get ready for that. So it's 40 days, uh, 40 days long. Uh, they don't count Sundays, because every Sunday is an, an individual celebration of the resurrection. So it's 40 days, not counting Sundays, beginning on Ash Wednesday. And the 40-day part of it, is, uh, is, is kind of interesting. So uh, they point to Jesus fasting for 40 days in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. So you can go to like Luke 4 and you see that, that he went into the desert to be tempted by the devil and he, he didn't eat anything the whole time. He was fasting and he was praying. And so uh, there's this, this interaction between Satan and Jesus that's really fascinating. And uh, last, last year, or at some point in the last couple of years, it all runs together. Uh, well, it took some Sundays and kind of looked at each of those different things. And um, so there's Jesus being tempted by, by Satan with uh, everything from the fact that he was hungry to uh, his own pride and ego to um, Satan offering him to, to be able to bypass the cross in order to gain all the glories of the world and all the kingdoms of the world. And uh, so all this temptation that was there. And so for 40 days, Jesus was alone by himself, just fasting and praying and um, that kind of battle. And so the early church looked at that and said, that's, that's pretty legit right there. Um, how about we do something, something similar to that? Plus, 40 is a number, number you find in the Bible a good bit. So remember, the, the early church, they were predominantly Jewish, like overwhelmingly Jewish. And so they would have also um, tied into Israel's 40 years in the desert. Um, Moses did a 40-day fast. Elijah did a 40-day fast. And so this idea of 40 uh, seems to fit the biblical story. Um, and so that's where the 40 comes from. So you have uh, about, let's say, six, six weeks, six and a half weeks um, of, of preparing yourself for Easter. And fasting has been, has been a part of that, mostly because of those, like, the, all those kinds of reasons. And uh, so Jesus fasted, Moses fasted, Elijah fasted. The Israelites were like really, really um, hungry, which we'll get to in a second through part of it. 
And so fasting from food, uh, like most of the time when the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking about fasting from like meals, whether that is um, like going like completely no food and only liquids. And sometimes it's like no food or liquids. And sometimes it's, you know, different things. Um, you see different fasts throughout the Bible. But um, modern day fasting kind of, sometimes we go toward uh, other things. So people will fast social media or TV or caffeine or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I went like the vegetarian route a few years ago, which was terrible. Um, and, but in the Bible, uh, like it is like a food-based thing, and it is going without food. Now, that is not to say that in modern days, to fast something non-food related is wrong. Just saying, like in the Bible, when, when Jesus teaches on fasting, when it's referenced anywhere, um, it's like a food thing. And so, why would, food, why would fasting from food be a part of a celebration of Lent, preparing us to go forward into... Uh, the death, burial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How, how, that, how does that all fit together? Um, fasting is not just about uh, a like self-discipline thing. It's not just about saying, like, can I go this amount of time without this particular thing in my life? Um, sometimes that's what it breaks down to, like in the mechanics. You know, it's just like, okay, I'm going to do without this for a while. But fasting is not just about abstaining from something. Um, Jesus didn't go into the desert and abstain from food, uh, but yet just continue to do all the things that he would normally do. You are abstaining from something in order to create space for something greater. So sometimes when people are trying to figure out, what am I going to give up for Lent? What am I going to sacrifice for Lent? What am I going to fast from for Lent? Our minds go to, what would be the hardest thing for me to live without, you know? And then we usually like go down to the next like fourth thing like we you know like, uh, but that's kind of where our minds go, and that's that's fine if you're just trying to figure out if you can do it. The key to to biblical fasting tied to like what is meant in the scriptures is um, what can I take out of my life that will create space for the Lord. So. Fasting from food, so that's why like, I was reflecting on this the other day. I was like, okay, so when I, went, when I was like, I'm going like, to abstain from meat. I'm going to give up meat for Lent. I'm going to go all vegetarian, whatever, the whole time. Um, that was, it was I, like I said, it was miserable. I, I didn't enjoy it. I eventually got used to it. And, um, but the thing is, like, I didn't really, it didn't really create any space in my life. It was just something that I learned to not order, you know. Um, it was something that I learned to plan around and that kind of stuff. And so it, it inconvenienced my life for a little while until I got used to it. But it didn't, I didn't, it didn't create any space, but not because you can't fast from meat um, and without creating space. It says, my approach was not that way. All right? So whatever it is that, that we give up for Lent, that we're fasting about, it needs to, to accomplish both of those things. It, it needs to be something that we have to have like the, like self-control and um, we have to like deny something, yes, but it also has to be something that is then uh, there's a space that's given to the Lord. So when people fast from food, um, whether it's uh, like a, a real, like a completely through Lent fast, which I would not recommend, it's... Like, without your doctors, like, you got to talk to your doctor if you're going to not eat or drink for 40 days. Um, but, you know, sometimes people will, they'll give up, they'll fast, let's say, like, one meal a day, you know. 
Okay, so what are you going to do during that space where that one meal would have normally happened? So if it becomes, okay, I'm, I'm not going to eat lunch, I'm going to fast lunch every day. Um, it doesn't mean that you would like still go to lunch with your coworkers, you know what I mean, and just kind of do that kind of stuff, or that, um, or that you would just like stay. If all your coworkers go to lunch and you stay behind, but you're just like, you know, catching up on email and um, or watching Netflix or something, or you know that that kind of thing, whatever it is you do, uh, it would be I'm gonna I'm gonna not go to lunch, and I'm going to then with this new space I have, I'm gonna fill that with the things of the Lord. So you can fast other things and still have that you know, consistently. So if you, um, if you give up television, right, that's going to create some space in your life for something. Um, if, if you give up coffee, you may have to work a little bit harder to find out, okay, how is that going to create space for Jesus in there? You know what I mean? And I'm, so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like mess with you, all right? I'm just saying... Um, for us to be consistent with the biblical teaching on fasting, it, it has to accomplish that. It has to, to say, I'm going to take this out in order to create more space for the Lord in here. Um, and I would, encourage you, I would encourage you to fast something, and fast in some form, over, over the stretch of Lent. Fill that space with the Lord. Um, and I would encourage you to, uh, to dialogue about it. Um, sometimes we get real paranoid about fasting. Uh, a few weeks ago in community group, um, if, if, if you guys went the week when we went through Second Chronicles 20 and the Jehoshaphat story, and uh, it says that King Jehoshaphat, uh, he, he gathered the nation together and he declared like a national fast, you know. And so just offhand, I was like, hey, I was like, do y'all have like questions about fasting or anything? And it was like rapid fire, like all these questions, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I had no intention of answering them at all. Uh, I was just more curious and uh, my curiosities were, it was way more than I imagined. But one of the most consistent things that people ask is like, uh, it's about like the mechanics, uh, like the rules of like, can you tell people? Can you not tell people? If you tell somebody, does it like violate it? Does it like throw everything out the window? And then, you know, is that how you actually broke your fast accidentally by telling someone? And, um, what Jesus tells us is that uh, you're, when you're fasting, it's not something that you use to get attention from people. And it's not something where you like mope around and all this kind of stuff. It, the fasting is not about you, it's about the Lord. And so it is okay uh, to, tell, to tell someone that you're fasting from something. At times, you're going to actually need to do that. Uh, and it's okay, it's, just, it's, it's really all about like how, what's your intention in telling them? You know? Are you trying to make yourself sound really holy and pious and that kind of stuff? Are you trying to get attention somehow? Are you trying to get approval somehow? Or is it just one of those things when sometimes in your friendships and the relationships you have, you have to explain why you don't go to lunch with the gang anymore? You know, that kind of thing. So um, all that to say, that, okay, so that's, that's all about fasting, I feel like talking about. If you have any questions about it, I'm not a fasting expert, okay? But I'm a learner, just like all of us are, and I've been reading a lot on it. So if you want to dialogue about it or anything, I'd certainly welcome that. Um, so imagine this, though. Imagine 40, 40 plus days headed toward Easter, which is the first weekend in April. So from now all the way till then, you are intentionally taking something out of your life, creating space for the Lord in that. Because you want an, a heightened attentiveness to Him. 
Like you want to be you want to be dialed in. You want to get to the point where if, if you if you fast a meal a day and you're sitting there and your stomach is ground and you're you're you got a headache, you're irritable, you're like whatever. And all you really want to do is eat. All you really want to do is just partake in what everybody else is doing and just have a normal life and whatever. In the midst of that, as much as you desire food, your prayer is, Lord, I want to desire you more than I want that meal right now. You know. I want to. I want to hear you. I want to sense you. I want to. I want my attentiveness to be as as sharp to you as as it is as I am paying attention to my own stomach right now as it's gr- like grumbling and telling me to feed it. You know, um, that's what that's what we want when we're fasting. It's not this like oh I just want to please you know are you happy now Lord are you ha- look at what I'm giving up and all that kind of stuff. It's it's I'm creating this space filling it with the things of the Lord so that. So that I can really sense him and really hear him. And so if, imagine congregations all around the world like a, approaching Easter weekend that, that way. Um, Good Friday will be devastating. You know? And Easter will be ridiculously uh, exciting to us, like Easter Sunday. Um, because as we're fasting, we're creating this space for the Lord, and as we're moving forward, uh, we're not only fasting, but we're filling that space, and we're praying, and we're attentive, and we're listening. And you know what else is, is a part of like the Lent celebration? is confession and repentance. We're paying attention to sin. We're paying attention to the idolatry that is revealed in our lives. We're, we're placing ourselves before the Lord, and we're saying, Lord, I... I don't want to grow so comfortable in, in my own life, in my own patterns, in my own, the rhythms of my life, that I just forget who you are, that I stop paying attention to you, that I ignore you. I don't, I, I don't, want, to be, I don't want to be there. I don't want to get to Good Friday and have to like, remember what it's all about. I don't want to have to get to Easter Sunday, and it's really just about like, getting to all the family obligations and all this kind of stuff. Like I want to cherish that and treasure that. I want the most important things that have ever happened on this earth to be the most important things that have ever happened on this earth to me. You know? And so fasting is this real, it's a plea. You're coming before the Lord and you're saying, I'm going to create this space and I'm begging you to, to search me and try me. Test me. And that's, that's how I wound up in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Is, uh, I was reading the, the temptation account of Jesus, and when the devil comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread, Jesus replies um, that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he could have done that, but he didn't. And in this moment of uh, self-control... And, uh, you know, he's hasn't eaten in 40 days, so probably some bread would have hit the spot. He says no because of something greater. Because for 40 days he's been creating this space in his life and praying. And he hasn't been confessing because he's Jesus. And he hasn't been repenting because he's Jesus. But he's been dealing with this tension of, like, being fully God and fully man in this one body. And he's been preparing for this ministry that's ahead. And he's been he's been. His attentiveness to the voice of the Father was super high in, in this. And of course, it's just absurd. Like, why, why would I do that? And so I, was, I went back to Deuteronomy 8 because he's quoting a verse from this passage of Scripture because Jesus is awesome like that. So how does he fight temptation? With Scripture, which he knows and has memorized. And so he quotes it. And so I 
went back to the verse, and I was like, that's really, that's really killer. And then I was like, well, I'm going to see what, everything that's around it. And this chapter just, it got into me. And I just want to walk through it just for a few minutes. Because I believe that, that this chapter could, um, it could help paint a picture that maybe my brief historical rundown of Lent has not. And maybe the like, randomness about fasting, maybe that's not really gotten us there either. Maybe you're not at the point where you're like, yeah, I really want this season of Lent to be the sharpest one ever for me. Maybe this, maybe this will help. Look at Deuteronomy 8. The whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. All right, let's, let's stop just for one second. The 40 years in the desert, you have a, the nation of Israel that um, God was, he was taking them from point A to point B, straight to the promised land. Like that's, that's the way that you would go on a map. But in order to do that, they would have to go through and they would have to like, encounter, they would encounter people living there that they would have to fight. And they would have to trust the Lord to, to do what he did in Second Chronicles 20 with Jehoshaphat. Remember that? Remember in group wherein the Lord, like, he miraculously spared them from having three armies come and just destroy them all. Um, to lead them straight from point A to point B, God was like, you know what? I'm, that would be the ideal. However, you don't have the faith that it would take. He, he knew his people. He knew Israel. He knew exactly, exactly their their hang-ups and what was such a struggle. And we see in the book of Exodus, he says it, it says instead of, instead of taking them directly there, he took them a, like a roundabout way. He took them a different way in order to train them and teach them and to build up their faith. And so he took them through the desert, and the plan was for him to intentionally bring them places where they didn't have food, so that, and, and he would feed them. And he would bring them where they didn't have any water, and he would provide water out of rocks, you know. And he would take them where they didn't really know where they were going, and he would guide them with a cloud or a, a pillar of fire. That he would give them a leader that could say, "All right, we're moving out," and then a leader that would say, "All right, we're going to set up camp and rest for a while." And that through this, their their faith would grow and grow and grow and grow. And then he would take them through that country, and they would by then their trust in the Lord would be enough, and they would see it all, and it would all be great. Like that was the plan. Instead of going. From A to B, which would have been ideal, God says, you don't have the faith, so I'm going to take you off to the side, build your faith, then put you back on that track, and then it's on. Um, the reason they stayed for 40 years is, is because they, um, they sent some spies in to look at the land, and the report came back. And basically, it was just this one thing after another of no faith, no trust, the people turning on the leaders. It was just, the, it was, it was just their own fault. And the Lord, in this real beautiful dialogue, um, he's like, you know what, I'm done with Israel. And Moses pleads with him. That's why we talk about God responding to the prayers of his, his children. He's responding to the situation. So the situation was everyone's complaining. So he responded to that. He said, I'm done. And then Moses steps in and says, hold on, what about this? So now he's got all these people complaining, but then there's this one, and it's the one, you know, it's the leader that he chose. 
is pleading with him. And so now the circumstances are, here's this faithful one who is coming to be the advocate of all these like complainers. So then God says, you know what? Okay, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive this sin. However, none of them are going to, are going to get into the promise. None of them are going to cross in the promised land. That all of this group, they're, they're going to die out here in the desert, but, but their kids who have not committed these sins, their kids, they'll get to see it. And so here's this reflection, and notice what it says in verse, verse 2. It says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, <clears throat> testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. I think that Lent, for, for, for the church, and hopefully for our church, should be in line with this right here. That God was, he wanted to humble them and he wanted to test them. But it's not, it's not test like see if you get the right answer or not. Uh, and that's kind of how it reads and I understand that. Um, it says testing you to know, to, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God didn't need to test them in order to, to figure out if they were going to obey. God tested them um, not because he didn't know, but because they didn't know. So he tested them basically so that they could fail and then realize their need for the Lord. So he tested them. And in that testing, it revealed something deep. He wanted to humble them and test them so that the things that need to be revealed could be revealed. Maybe that is a vision for Lent that we can grab onto. You know? That the Lord can teach us humility through fasting, through self-sacrifice, through confession, through repentance, that He can, can humble us and He can test us that some things may be revealed in our hearts that maybe we don't know are there. That maybe this could be 40 days of really being like, okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop pretending that idols don't exist in my life. You know, Which, I'm not saying that's everybody, but maybe, maybe it's some of us. 40 days of saying like, okay, I'm going to... I really need to, I need to dig into this sin pattern. I've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And now, if the whole church is like, hey, we're going to deal with our stuff for the next several weeks, then you're not alone in that. So maybe it's idolatry, and maybe it's sin patterns, and maybe, maybe it's a prideful streak. Maybe your marriage has just been like on the verge of crumbling, but you haven't wanted to tell anybody for a while, you know. Um, maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a whatever. I, I don't know. I could spout off all kind of examples, but, but what if we looked at this and said, okay, if Israel was humbled and tested so that things could be revealed in their lives, um, maybe we can step into that storyline together as a church and together with believers all around the world, that maybe this could be one of the most purifying times of the year for the bride of Christ, that she might look more and more uh, like, like, the, like the, the bride that Jesus has like, envisioned, you know? Um, so, so that was the point. Verse 3. Uh, and he humbled you and let you hunger. And I, I kind of got stuck on that for a while. Like he humbled you and he let you hunger. Like he let Israel get miserably hungry in the desert. He intentionally brought them into a place where there was no... It was just very, very uncomfortable and probably scary... He brought, them, he brought them into this place with a lot of purpose, you know. And Lent kind of does that. You're like, hey, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to engage myself in a discipline that's going to kind of mess, mess up my life. You know, it's going to make me uncomfortable. It's going to make me, uh, make me live sacrificially. It's going to, you know, whatever. Um, that that's something that God does. Like God, he led Jesus out into the desert to fast for 40 days. He's, God's not afraid to put us in situations where we're uncomfortable. And a lot of times in the year, we can, we can avoid that. But maybe Lent is one of those times when he's like, okay, I want to get all of your attention at the same time. And so it says, he, led him, he humbled you and led you, uh, let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So manna was like this, like... Uh, Think of like if dew on the grass like was like, like a flaky, bready kind of stuff that you could like walk out in the morning and like pick it up and eat it. Um, it, it did not taste good. They, they, they absolutely hated it. But God provided it every day for them. Um, so he let them be hungry and then he fed them in his own unique way. And he fed them something that was intentionally bland that they would not be like, oh, this is the best thing ever. They're like, oh, I mean, I guess it's better than nothing, but... Uh, why do you think he was teaching them that? Where it says right there that they would learn that it's not about like it's not about eating well, it's not about living well, it's not about being comfortable, it's not about it's not about all the things that life tends to like tell us. He brought them out where they wouldn't have some stuff and said, "Hey, I'm here to show you that your life is not about that stuff. Your life is about every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what you live by." At one point in Jesus' ministry, he says, you know, he says, I have food that you don't even know anything about. He says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. You know? So here's Jesus who sees obedience to the Father as, as the, something that gives him life and energy and fulfills his purpose as much as, much as food will. You know? He's that dependent on it. He's actually more dependent on that than he is about food. So there's an ordering that happens in this fasting and this self-sacrifice and this creating space for the Lord and for leaning into Him and being attentive to Him and letting Him speak and confess and repent. All this stuff is going together uh, and it teaches us something. It's like, this is the most important thing in your life. Everything else will fall into place and all those, even all these really good things. He's not saying here that, oh, food is evil. I'm going to teach you this lesson. He's saying, yeah, you need food, but greater than food, you need the Lord, which you have. And so he's teaching this, this collective lesson that they may know that it's all about that. In verse 4, it says, Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. So for 40 years in the desert, and he took care of their feet, and their clothing never wore out. I mean, think about wearing something for, you're on a, this 40-year journey, and yet, uh, it says somewhere else that their, their shoes didn't even wear out, you know. That he's this provision in the desert. Uh, verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God, your God, disciplines you. You guys that are parents, you, you know you discipline your kids because you love them. If you didn't love them, you just let them do whatever they want. It's this care that's there. And so this whole thing, this whole season of Lent, this whole time in the desert, it was all about love. It wasn't about punishment. It was about goodness. 
And so at times Lent, it, if you practice it right, it'll probably, there'll be times where you'll probably just feel like it's this religious, oppressive, whatever. You know, it's like the church is making us do this, you know. Well, that's not it. That if the Lord really did lead, the, lead all these folks and Jesus and Elijah and Moses and the early church fathers and all since that, then up to this point, if this is really his leading of his church, if he really does lead his bride into holiness and he really has led into this season of Lent, then it is just going to be good for us. Verse 6, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, the land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without, without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God. For the good land he has given you. So he's, I mean, this is this description. Now imagine that you're in the generation who, um, who you're young enough to where you're not being held accountable for like the reason why they're there for 40 years. You're hearing this, like you're the generation that gets to go in and live in that kind of land. You've grown up in what would basically be utter, utter poverty, out in the desert, having to eat manna, wearing the same clothes your whole life, even though they don't wear out. They're still the same stuff. Same stuff. All you know is desert life, following a pillar of fire or a cloud and all this kind of stuff. And then this is the description. This is what's being described as your destination that God's bringing you to this kind of land. You'd probably begin to just like, you know, like, like salivate a little bit. You know, like just your life would be like, I cannot believe that that that's in even a possibility that if God's really taking us there, that's absolutely an amazing thing. And then you jump into the New Covenant idea of this, that here we are, we're living in this world, which is um, filled with brokenness and pain, yes. It's also filled with a lot of gracious and good things as well. You know, it's, it's this mixture of, of both extremes and everything in the middle and... Um, all the good things are from God, and they, they point us forward to this new earth where everything that sin is broken, it's all vacuumed out of it, and that's this, new, that's this existence. So our future is set, and our, our present, even though we live in that tension that's there, we're, we're still um, walking with the Lord, and we're growing, and there's just so much goodness here. And so it's kind of similar where he's telling them, this is where you're headed in this passage. He's t- we live as we know where we're headed. So all these things... It should just excite us thoroughly. And then he says this, and this is what really got to me, and this is where I want to close with. Verse 11. It says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply... And your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end." 
Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers and is to this day. You know, that's a scary, that's a scary passage. Not like a, not in some sort of dark, evil way, but scary to think that we could, that we could forget Him. Like, look at verse 11. Uh, that phrase right there, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. So what he's telling me, he's like, God's bringing you into this thing, but listen, you need to, you need to take care because if you don't, you're going to forget. And for them, he says, yeah, now you're hungry. Now you don't have any houses or flocks or money or anything like that. But he's bringing you into a place where all those things are going to be a part of your future. And the, the danger is when they are, that you'll stop needing him like you did in the desert. You'll stop asking. You'll stop listening. You'll stop following. You'll stop trusting. And your heart will shift. And then you'll kind of think that you're pretty awesome too. See, the desert was, a, was about needing Him and trusting Him and learning from Him and being tested so things were revealed and humbling themselves. And here's this prophetic word of like, okay, when you move from the desert into this land of abundance, you've got you to watch out because those things of the world are very, very charming. And you'll begin to give credit in the wrong places. And you'll, your heart will rise and you'll, you know, you'll forget the Lord. That's, you know, you'll forget Him. And so what if, what if Jesus, as the perfect husband to His bride, has built into her, the rhythms of her church year this stretch of time where collectively we're able to abstain from things, fast, create space in order to pray and confess and repent to be humbled and tested so that that kind of stuff doesn't happen to us. So that although we may have moved from the desert into a place of abundance, we still have the trust and the humility and the goodness of all the things of the desert. Now we just live in a place where, um, where our circumstances look different, but our hearts are still firm and growing and strong. Maybe... Because he's such a good husband to us, and he has invested infinitely in our holiness, maybe his leadership of his church looks like that. It says, you know what? Every year we're going to have this stretch of time that's going to be filled with some difficult things, but all of it is for your good and for your holiness and your sanctification and your growth. Maybe failing to practice Lent faithfully in these kinds of ways Historically is why the, why the church is still struggling so much to really be the bride that we all get emotional and start up about like wanting to be and become. And so maybe for us, maybe as a congregation, this could be what happens in the next several weeks. Um, but it won't, it won't be the case if, if it's not one of those like, okay, everybody in, you know, those kind of things. Uh, which is not to say you, it can't happen individually, but think of the, co- the collective power, the corporate power. Think about what would happen if we, were, we really were like all hands in the middle, you know, uh, Lent on three kind of deal, you know. Like if that were to happen, um, I, I just, it's just amazing. So I have to, to get to a place where 
um, where I, I'm trusting that this is like a, a, a church life rhythm that Jesus is the author of. And for them to look back at the time in the desert and the discipline of Christ and all those kinds of things and to see that goodness, and to see all that he brought out of that and to say, you know what, we, we want that too. So we're going to intentionally create this space and we're going to go for it. As, I don't know, it stirs me. Um, so... Uh, that's a mixture of all the stuff I was going to talk about and then this chapter that just kind of got into me. And I don't know, I, don't, I really don't know how it fits. I'm still kind of learning it and figuring out. But I feel like, um, I don't feel like it's a random thing that a few years ago, our, like he moved our church, like we started like kind of looking at this church calendar a little bit differently. I think there's a lot of goodness in there for us. And so I don't know what it means for you, but um, that's between you and the Lord. And so I would encourage you to steward well the things that maybe jumped out from the text tonight or whatever, or maybe some of the songs, or maybe the songs, the songs we're going to close with. Um, I don't know. But, um, you know, we're, um, we're, we've finished our 30 days of prayer, and we're trying to gather those, like, feedback forms. And so if you haven't done that, it would be really helpful if you, if you were able to do that tonight or maybe early, like, first thing in the morning or something. And we're trying to get that stuff together and really see what did the Lord speak to us, and what do we do with that? But um, Wednesday is when this this stuff starts, and so we enter into a whole new season that I think is filled with goodness. So, uh, so we're going to sing a little bit. <clears throat> we're just going to respond to the gospel and to the Lord. So, once you stand up as the as the musicians come back, and and as I move over to the bass here in a second, uh, why don't you just take a second and maybe just uh, I know I just like talk, just did a lot of talking. So maybe just close your eyes and maybe just think, maybe just ask the Lord, like, okay, what, what are the big ideas you want me to take away from tonight? From the songs, from the, the scriptures, from whatever. Um, maybe just ask Him just to lead you to an idea or something, something you can come back to later um, as we prepare to respond uh, in song in just a second.